If you have your Bible with you today, I'd like you to open with the uh, with me to the New Testament book of First John. It's near the end of your Bible, so if you turn to Revelation and then uh, just start heading backwards just a little bit, you'll run into First John, not the Gospel of John, which is at the beginning of the New Testament, but the Epistle of First John, written by the same guy, a different book. First John chapter one, and we're going to pick up in verse five. First John chapter one and verse five, and. If you've been following along in our, our journey uh, through Scripture and, and just what we've been doing the last several weeks, you know that we have, um, we have been doing some, some biographical sketches, I guess you'd say, of some biblical characters. And I'm gonna, uh, I plan on picking back up in that here uh, in a few weeks, but, but for right now, uh, I want to shift gears just a little bit. And throughout the course of my ministry, especially the last couple of years, um, I've had several conversations both inside and outside the church with uh, people who, who have questions about the assurance of their salvation. The assurance of their salvation. How do I know that I'm really saved? And, and, and when I've had these discussions, these are, uh, the, the discussions are not couched in those terms necessarily. They, they, it's not some uh, abstract theological idea that, that people are trying to meditate on. Usually when I talk to people, there's a bit of distress involved. There's a bit of, of concern. They're, they're, they're kind of worried about things. And usually it sounds something like this. I, I don't know if I'm saved. Or, or how do I know if I really am saved? Or something similar. And like I said, there's usually some, some concern, some distress wrapped up in this. But I want to tell you that you can know for sure whether or not you're a believer. You can know for sure if you are a believer. You can have assurance of your salvation. Now, I've wanted to cover this for, uh, for quite a while now, but uh, for one reason or another, that's, that's never, been, uh, never been the case. But I felt led this week to kind of put everything on pause and to spend a few weeks talking about these things. Now, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13 is a key verse in the book of 1 John. You don't have to turn there if you, if, if you don't want, uh, but I will read it for you. And in it, John tells why he wrote the whole letter. And here's what he says in 1 John chapter 5. In verse 13, he says, These things, speaking of all the letter of 1 John, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that, here's the reason, you may know that you have eternal life. In other words, when you think about your salvation, you can be an exclamation mark, not a question mark. So what John does is give us a number of tests that we can apply to ourselves. And, and those of you who are in the teaching field, this is like a rubric, okay? And it's, it's not just one test that's, that's the definitive test that shows whether or not you are a believer. But he's going to give us, I believe it's nine different things. And so the rubric is all these different things. You compare your life to these, different, to these different tests and say, these things are present in my life. That points to me being a Christian. And if these things are not present in my life, that points to me not being a Christian. Okay, so there, there's no th- third category. It's not kind of a Christian. It's either you are or you're not. Okay, so for the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to look at these tests that John gives. We're going to uh, hopefully apply them to our own lives. And no matter what you feel about your eternal condition, I want you to apply this to your life. If you're already assured of your salvation, this will only strengthen and encourage and solidify your assurance. If you're kind of wavering, you, you don't know for sure, you're, you think you are, th- you're just not sure, these tests will hopefully tell you, will show you if you are or not. And if you're not a Christian, that would be a great time to get saved. That would be a great time to realize, hey, I'm not a believer, and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you found First John chapter 1, I'd like you to stand in honor of God's Word if you're able to. And we're just going to read a few verses 
And as, as I was preparing things and put the PowerPoint together, I realized this is so much less text than we've had lately. It's just, just three verses. Uh, verse 5 says, This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you, that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. Thank you. you may be seated. <clears throat> now, once you look back at verse 5 again, and, and actually there are two related tests in this passage. The first is, is an implied one. The, the second is, is very explicit. But look at, look at verse 5 and see what he says. He says, this is the message, we, the apostles, of which John was one, this is the message we have heard from him. Now, what, who is the him that he's speaking of? He's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, we know that, that John was an apostle. He and, and, his, and, and his brother James and, and some of the other, uh, the, the other apostles, they were with Jesus for about three years. They heard him teach. They saw the miracles. They, they were with him night and day, over and over and over again. They saw all these things that he had done. He, they, they saw the works. They had seen the miracles. They served alongside him. And he says, this is the message we have heard from him. Now, as, as we read through that, if you have your thinking cap on this morning, you may have noticed or you may have realized you don't remember that teaching actually being in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John do not record these specific words. And so you might, you might be asking, well, how, how can he say that this is what we heard from him? We well, have to remember the Gospels only record a portion of what Jesus said. And so there, it's quite possible that Jesus gave this specific teaching in these words, maybe even numerous times, and they just didn't record it in the Gospels. That is a possibility, but not a necessity. It's kind of like, kind of like a minute ago I, I asked how the, uh, how the ladies' conference was. Now, we got kind of a, a summary of what was, what was done and, and said and, and those types of things. But we did not get everything that was said. It was a distillation. It was a summary of what had happened. And quite possibly, when John says, this is the message that we heard from him, he's saying all this stuff that Jesus taught, all the parables that he told, all the teaching that he gave us in private, all the teaching that he gave to the, to the, to the crowds, this is a distillation. This is, this is it in a nutshell. That God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And, and, and so I want you to notice, this is the message they got from Jesus. Look at verse 5. They heard it from him. This is not something they came, came up with. This is not cleverly devised tales. This is not a, a fig newton of their imagination. This is the teaching of the Lord. And what is the content of the message? That God is light. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Now notice how emphatic that is. There is no darkness, none at all. Not, not, not the tiniest speck of darkness. He is complete, total light. But what does that mean? Well, in the Bible, the, the biblical writers use light as a picture of purity and holiness and truth and, and knowledge and, and happiness and, and, and things of that nature. And darkness is the opposite of those things. It speaks of depravity. It speaks of error, of, of ignorance, and, and, and all the rest. Notice that he does not say God dwells in light. Now, he does dwell in light. First Timothy tells us that. But he doesn't say God dwells in light. Rather, what does it say? God not is like light. God is 
light. Now, I want to pause there because we don't typically think about this when we think about God. Because in another place, in 1 John, he says God is love. And that's, that's one that we're familiar with. That's one that we think about. Oh, God is love. What does that mean? That means that God is, in everything that God is, everything that God does, his character, his nature, everything is defined by love. In the Gospel of John, John chapter 4, Jesus is going along and he goes, uh, he, he deals with a, a Samaritan woman. You remember that, the, the woman at the well? And she says, well, i got a question about Mount Gerizim and Jerusalem and all these things. He said, if you knew who was talking to you, you'd ask me and i give you the living water. You remember this whole story. And in that, in that account, God said, or Jesus says, God is spirit. And so we look at that and we say, okay, this is telling us about the nature of who God is. God is spirit. And so when we look at 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5, he doesn't just say that God dwells in light, though he does. He says God is light. That is who he is. Now remember, light speaks of purity, no, no, no mixture of sin. He is truth with no mixture of error or ignorance. It, it speaks of of, of, of holiness with no mixture of impurity. He is completely, entirely, utterly, totally light. That is who God is. God is light. We are not. We are not. We sin and fall, what? Short of the glory of God. We don't make it. We miss the mark. We transgress God's law. Apart from Christ, we dwell in darkness. You remember what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, I believe it is? Speaking of the coming Messiah, he said, Those who walk in darkness have what? Seen a great light. Jesus, God incarnate, is the light of the world. God is light. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. People love darkness rather than light. And so the gospel message is, all these things about God, God is light and, and he's, he's pure and holy and, and all those things. We are not. Our sin has separated us from God. We walk in darkness. Our sin has separated us from God. We can't get there on our own through self-effort or anything else. We're at war with God. We're in rebellion against God who is light. But God has commanded all people everywhere to repent, to believe the gospel, to come to him in faith, to turn from our sin to turn from our darkness, and, and to come to Him and trust Him for salvation. And listen, if you've never done that, today is the day that you need to do it. And so the first, the, the, the first test is, like I said, it's, it's implied in here, but the first test that we need to apply to ourselves, that we need to ask ourselves is, have I, have you ever believed the message? Have you ever believed the gospel message that God is light, that God is pure and holy and all these things, and we can't get to Him on our own, and we need Jesus? Because if you've never done that, the, the, the question is, are you saved? No, you're not. If you have never trusted Christ for salvation, you're not saved. You're not going to heaven. Now, I know that that, is, that, that seems narrow and that, seems, that, that may seem to, to some people as being harsh and different things like that. It says, oh, well, that's, that's so narrow, so exclusive. Why is there only one way? The real question is, why is there a way? Because God didn't, God didn't need to give us a way to him. But he did in the person of Jesus Christ. So the first objective test is what, uh, uh, of whether or not you're a believer is, have you believed the gospel message? Have you responded in faith? 
If not, you're not a Christian. The second test is, is more laid out, more direct. It's in verses 6 and 7, and, and this is more of a subjective test. And, and like I said, this is, this is one of those things where he lays out evidences of being a true believer, and you are supposed to lay your life beside it or on top of it and say, okay, I'm, yeah, this describes me, or no, this does not describe me. And what is this test? Look at verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with Him, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. The test is, do you walk in the light? Again, verse 6. He says, if we say, now a number of times as we'll go through this, you'll notice this is a recurring, this is the way he introduces these things. If we say, if we say, if we're making a profession that we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, he says, we lie. We don't practice the truth. And this is a negative test. Yes, you, you may claim to be a Christian. Yes, you may come to church. Yes, you may teach a Sunday school class. Yes, you may stand behind a podium and preach. You may make all these professions, but talk is sheep. Talk doesn't cost us anything. You may come to church and sing, Oh, how I love Jesus. You may, say, you may sing the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. You may get all teary-eyed when you sing the old rugged cross. You can lead in prayer, teach a Sunday school class, work in Bible school, do all those things and not be a true believer. The proof is in the pudding. The proof of the pudding is in the tasting is, is the more correct thing. What was this saying? It's not in what you say. It, I mean, you can, you, you can make any kind of profession you want. He, he says, if you say you walk in the light, but you say you have communion with God, and yet your life doesn't back it up, there's a problem. Now, the form of the verb in verse 6, the, the form of the verb walk in the original language speaks of an ongoing, continued, habitual action. A lifestyle, we would say today. He says, if you say that you are in communion with God, you're in fellowship with God, you're a Christian, and yet you walk habitually, continually, your lifestyle is one characterized by sin, unrepentant sin, you are not saved. Now listen, I want you to get this. Maybe write it down, at least stick it in your brain somewhere. He's talking about direction, not perfection. He's talking about direction, not perfection. Because when we look at our lives, each of us can say, I got a lot of sin. Every day I sin. I've sinned, I've sinned since we sat down from seeing uh, the, the last song. You know, we, we have pride, we have lust, we have anger, we have all these different things. He's not saying you have to be sinless. That's the goal. Our, our goal should be to be like Jesus and to be sinless. In another place, John says, I've written these things that you might not sin. But if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's not saying we have to be perfect. What he's saying is, when you look at the direction of your life, are you striving to follow God? When you look at the direction of your life, are you walking in the light? 
when, when you look at your life over, over the time since you've been saved or, or whenever it was till now, do you see evidence that God has made a change in your heart? And see, that the, the irony is, as we get closer to God, as we mature in our faith, we will be sinning less, but we'll feel worse about it. We'll be more aware of the sin that we have in our life and used to. I mean, when you're, when you're a new Christian, I mean, there, there may be a number of things that, you know, it's like teaching a, a kid a new skill. And, or, or any, it could be an adult too. You teach somebody a new skill, you don't correct every single thing they're doing incorrectly right off the bat. You start and you begin to shape and mold and refine it and refine it and refine it. Get a little bit better, a little bit better. It's kind of like that in our walk with God. Sometimes he'll put his finger on this. Oh, this is an area of my life that I need to fix and we get better. And then he puts his finger on that and we say, okay, this is an area I need to, I need to, I need to strive in. I need to give this up or whatever it is. And, and, and as, we, as we mature in our faith, we get closer to God we'll be more aware of the sin that we're doing. But we're actually sinning less than we used to. It's, it's kind of a, kind of a, uh, it, it's a, it's a, not exactly a paradox. It makes sense, but it's, it's uncomfortable. And so when, when we look at our life, we should be seeing that God has changing our heart over time. Sometimes he makes those renovations very quickly. Sometimes it seems like one step forward and two steps back. Sometimes it seems like slow growth. And, and if you've ever seen your kids, your grandkids, whoever it is, sometimes they go off to school and they come home and it seems like they've, they've grown two inches. That they look different in the face even when they come home than when they left. And other times it seems like they go the whole year and they, they look the same. And, and again, it's, it's like that in our spiritual life. Sometimes the growth is fast, sometimes it's slow. But the, the, the question is, is there growth? John says when you look at your life, if you live in unrepentant sin, if that's your lifestyle, if you sin and are comfortable with that, if God never chastens you, never disciplines you, he says, not Jeff says, John says you are a liar. Now some people intentionally set out to deceive others. And they want to fool people. And they know that they're not a Christian. They want others to think they are. And so they deceive others. And they don't practice the truth. They lie. But others are self-deceived. They've had a religious experience. They recognize that God's done X, Y, and Z, and they, they, they latch on to that. And, and, and maybe they, they, they've gone to church, they've done whatever external thing it is, and they trust their eternal destiny on that, but their, their lives do not match their profession. And when you stand before God, these people are going to say, Lord, Lord, I did this for you and that for you. And God's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. John says that if that is you, you are not saved. You're not going to heaven. You're a liar and you don't practice the truth. And John, in, in 1 John, he's very black and white. The, the, this, this book, when you read through it, if, if, if you apply it at all to your life, it'll tan your hide. On the other hand, on the positive side, I mean, that's, that's kind of a downer, right? But look at verse 7. The positive side is, if you walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' his Son cleanses us from all sin. Now again, the test is the same. Do you walk in the light? 
Do you walk in the light? Are you responsive to the light? Do you strive to live a life that is like the Lord's? Do you strive to live a holy life? If you do that, verse 7, we have fellowship with one another. Now, who is this fellowship with? Who is the one another? Well, our, our natural reaction is to say, with people. And that is grammatically possible. Yes, if, if you live in the light and others are living in the light, you have the same Lord, same goal, same, same all, these, all, these, all these things that are similar, you're going to have unity. You're going to have fellowship with one another. And, and we have fellowship in this church, one with another, because we serve the same God. We, we worship the same risen Lord. And there is that aspect of it. But grammatically, the one another can also refer to God. And it, it makes sense. If we are living in the light and God is light, we're going to have fellowship with Him. We're going, to be, we're going to have communion with Him. If you are walking in the light, you as a Christian will have communion, fellowship with God and with other Christians. But also, you'll notice verse 7 finishes up. It says, And the blood, of, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Now understand, this happens when we get saved. We're justified. We're washed. We're made pure. We're made holy. God has declared us not guilty. He, he, he doesn't hold it against us anymore. But that's not what's in view because that's justification. This is talking about sanctification. This is... This is as, as we go through life, we're, we're made right with God. And, the, and so this is not speaking of, of, this is not speaking of our, our initial conversion experience. This is talking about our ongoing walk with the Lord. Again, the verb tense here, when it says it, it, it cleanses us, that is an ongoing action. It covers and it keeps covering us. We don't need another conversion experience when we sin. We don't need to become a son again. We need to have our relationship restored. Our relationship, it's kind of like, uh, parents, you, you, you understand this probably better than, than children will. You have, when, when you have kids, they may do stuff that really burns your biscuits. I mean, it may make you real mad. You tell them to do something and they don't. They tell you don't do something and they do. And it, there's, there's a rupture in that fellowship. The relationship is still the same in the sense that they're still your son or your daughter. But, but that fellowship is now strained. There, there's, a, there, there's a problem. The fellowship is not there. And when we sin as a Christian, we don't become not God's children, but our fellowship with Him is strained. What, what did Jesus say in the, in, in the Lord's Prayer? He said, Our Father, so this is Christians praying, Our Father was heart in heaven, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We as Christians sin sometimes. We're, we're made right with God, we're, we're justified before God, but yet we're still sinners. And so Jesus' blood, John says in 1 John 1, 7, His blood cleanses us from all sin. And don't think that because you've sinned badly, you, you're damaged good and, and unfit for his use. Sometimes we think that we've sinned too big. But notice that word all in verse 7. 
Scripture says, regardless of our feelings, that the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. Now the question that lies before us is twofold. For your own personal application. First, have you believed the gospel message? Have you heard it? Have you trusted Christ for salvation? God's holy. He's just. He's pure. He's right. He is light. We are darkness. We are moved from the, when we get saved, we're moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And if you have never trusted Christ for salvation, and, and everybody's experience looks a little different, sounds a little different, but one thing that remains the same in all of them is they've heard the gospel and they've trusted Christ for salvation. And if you have never done that, you are not saved today. But you can be. Not, don't do it tomorrow, don't do it next week, do it today. While you still have breath in your body, put your faith in Jesus Christ. But the second question that we see in verses 6 and 7 is, do you walk in the light? Not do you say you walk in the light. This is not about your profession. It's about your possession. Do you walk in the light? Do you have fellowship with God? Do you have fellowship with other believers? Not are you perfect, but your life, as you look at the direction it's going, headed in the right direction. Are you grieved when you sin? Or do you sin and you don't mind a bit? Again, if you're, if you're walking in darkness, if that's your lifestyle, no matter what you claim, you're not a Christian, according to Scripture. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come? And as you stand, I ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I want to encourage you to take, take honest stock of your life. Do you walk in the light? I've I've hammered the negative side pretty hard. But listen, this is an assurance of salvation because if if that describes you, if you do, you walk in the light, you strive to please God, you strive to live out His commands, you you have fellowship with God, you have fellowship with, with other Christians, that is a sign you are saved. If your faith is wavering, let that strengthen it. Let it encourage you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, which lays things out in black and white terms, things that are um, impossible to to miss. And we ask that if, if, uh, if any of us today does not know you. God, if there's somebody who uh, maybe has, has made a religious profession, but their life doesn't match that up or match up with that, and they're not actually saved, Lord, I pray that you would draw, draw their attention to that. Lord, for that person maybe who's, who's, uh, whose assurance is, is wavering or maybe the person who's... who's uh, rock solid they've got they have no doubts 
Lord, I pray that this would strengthen and encourage their faith, that they would see that regardless of their feelings, there are some objective realities and, and those things can be known. And God, again, we pray that you would, um, would speak to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.